Welcome to Engineering Fields of Dreams podcast. We're here to share stories and professional experiences of engineers across disciplines and let you explore the amazing world of engineering. Each episode, you'll hear inspiring stories and advice from engineers, allowing you to learn from their successes and experiences. Whether you're an engineering student, a veteran engineer, or just curious about engineering, we invite you to join us and explore the amazing and ever-changing world of engineering. Welcome to this episode, From Electromagnetics to AI and Medicine, with our guest, James. Thank you for being here today, James. Would you please introduce yourself? Hi there, my name is James Bates. I am the CEO of AdvyNow Medical here in Scottsdale, Arizona. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Why did you choose this career? It's interesting from a why did I choose being a startup guy or why did I choose <laughs> why did I choose being an engineer it's very interesting from a college standpoint as a young kid I originally looked at electrical engineering which is was my major just because I liked to understand how things work and I thought one day I'm going to be an inventor right that was what I wanted to do was is invent things and so that's why I got into electrical engineering. And as I went through the major, I tried to choose things that were most complex for me. Things that become very difficult, like electromagnetics, from a mathematical and an engineering standpoint. What I got into AdvyNow Medical was like that same drive. We had a plan of eliminating the administrative burden and essentially allowing physicians to see two to three times more patients per hour than what they see today. And because of that, I thought, wow, we can do this. We can develop an artificial intelligence that mimics a physician's brain as well as one that mimics the administrator's brain. And so because I had that desire and the engineering innate, I thought, wow, this is going to be easy. You just develop an AI and mimic a person. This is going to be pretty easy. It turned out to be not so easy, which is the wonderful thing about a startup is you dive in and then you get to know what you don't know. So AbbeyNow Medical does use artificial intelligence. We eliminate the administrative burden. People like Mayo Clinic are using our platform to enable their doctors to see more patients, get better outcomes, and reduce burnout. So why did I choose what I do? In order to essentially fundamentally change healthcare fundamentally change a problem that we have in our society. That's a really wonderful story. And I assume that a lot of the problem solving skills transition from electrical to what you're doing now. Absolutely. But as an undergrad trying to choose what to go into, I have three sons, two of them in engineering school right now, and one who's in medical school. And as I was mentoring them, I think back of myself going through undergraduate and graduate school, and I was very curious and worried about having value in the marketplace and being able to essentially support myself, a little bit anxious through that whole process, probably more than I needed to be. But ultimately, it was a driver for me to excel and maintain scholarships in research and publish papers, the whole activity that, that you end up doing in graduate school and undergraduate. And my sons 
are going through the process and they don't have that same drive. And it's that, do you ever even use electrical engineering in your job? (laughs) And the amazing thing is my first job, which was at Bell Laboratories over in the East Coast in New Jersey when I got out of school, was very interesting because it was a direct application to what I studied with electromagnetics. It was RF engineering and it was absolutely directly correlated. But pretty much that was the last job that was directly correlated to electromagnetics that I had. But from that point, I used the same problem-solving skills and the same fundamental understanding, and that is what the electrical engineering degree gave me, was a fundamental understanding of really how the world worked. From a physics standpoint, you can determine why a system works the way it works. From a mathematical standpoint, you can build models around every aspect of the world that we live in. That capability allowed me to transition into business development at Bell Labs, where I basically took core research and brought it out to find products. And it helped people ramp up using passive optical networking. Or at that time, we, it was when USB first came about, showing my age a little bit, and partnering with these companies to be able to develop technologies that people today take for granted and use. And that fundamentally modeling capability, understanding how the world works, being able to solve those problems is really what drove it. So as I talk to my boys and ask them, how are you going to choose your career? And I'm pushing them more to the fundamental side. And they're like, I want to, I want to study something we'll actually use. So one went into manufacturing engineering, one's biomechanical engineering. And I'm liking what's more important than what you're studying at school is do you actually understand the underlying foundational processes beneath the engineering, beneath the concepts? Can you derive it from scratch, every single thing you engage in life? Because if you can, it doesn't matter what you study and it doesn't matter what you do in the world, you'll end up being successful. And that's even more true when we start looking at artificial intelligence, like I do today, where human minds are actually being replicated. And if you can replicate a human mind and you don't understand foundationally how things work, you have limited value in the future world. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's it's a pretty exciting process. A little bit of a long answer to your question there. Yeah, but it transitions nicely into my second question, which is what is one thing that you know now that you wish you knew before graduation? really how important the fundamentals are. And I had a graduate professor, he was my advisor, who was one of the youngest students to ever graduate with a PhD from MIT. And he was a crazy hard professor. He forced us to publish journal papers in order to graduate with a master's degree, which I found out is not common. (laughs) So (laughs) he made us do really hard things. And when I was going through that process, I looked at a lot of what he was making us do as busy work. But ultimately, that those are th- some of the things I'm most thankful for. Because if I understood how you could add value in any job you get, it's not about memorizing formulas. It's about understanding why those formulas work. And right. then you can actually understand the world. Yes, Yes, for sure. And I get the sense sometimes from some of the students in data engineering, for example, who really know the tools well, but they lack like the contextual business value side. 
And so they see these results and they're really impressed by them. And it's, yeah, but that means nothing because it's just a whole bunch of correlations that aren't really useful to the business. Absolutely. You got to understand in detail why it matters. If you're going to be using AI in the future to help improve situations, if you don't understand the fundamentals, the AI can do everything you can do. It'll be able to use those tools. Yeah. Can you recall a challenging professional situation and what did you learn from it? One of my most challenging times in my career was when I joined my first startup. So I left Bell Laboratories in 2001, which if we remember was the dot-com bubble crash. And so I joined a startup, founded the international operations for them. And so I was living in Japan and my first day on the job, I call up my new boss And I'm like, okay, I need to create a Japanese entity and, and then we have to transfer money into the entity, hundred thousand dollars, because that's the requirement of the Japanese laws of sponsoring visas. And if I don't do this, then I can't stay in Japan and do everything else that I'm hoping to do here. And I call him up in the, in the chief financial office, which was the guy helping me do this. He's okay, go do it. And I'm like, what? I don't know what I'm doing. Can Is there a lawyer? Is there a CPA firm? <laughs> what should I be doing here? And he's like, no, this is, we're cutting budgets like crazy. There's no money for anything. I think you just got to go figure it out. And so literally my first day on the job, I went and founded a stock holding company in Japan and in my name, 100% owned by me and then sold it back to the corporation and then had them transfer some of their funds into it. And I really did not know what I was doing and being able to transition from first core R&D, which is what I did straight out of school, into a business development role, which I transitioned into at Bell Labs, and then into really a general management type of leadership role for the region. It made me think on a hundred different levels that I'd never thought of before. So that challenging situation forced me essentially to work 18, 20 hours a day, seven days a week for about three years to be able to get the company on solid footings. And during that process, we hired over 200 people, opened entities in every country in Asia and grew the business from zero to half a billion dollars of revenue. That success allowed me to maintain motivation to continue the crazy work schedule. A lot of people looked at me and they said, oh, James, you're so lucky. You're working for this company that's on fire and you know, you're know you in a, such a VP position at 29 years old. That was me at the time. And I was like, nobody wants this job. <laughs> this is a job everyone looks at and says, I want it. But, if it. but nobody really understands the sacrifice and the requirements to be successful in it until you do it. Once the infrastructure is in place, that type of grueling schedule is no longer required. But going through that transition of small company to big company, where none of the infrastructure is in place and you got to build it. So it's like building building a race car as you're driving it. Mm-hmm. It is. It was a very tough situation. Going back to your first answer about the fundamentals, if you focus on the fundamentals, that's how you can get to the end of the tunnel on that. Trip. Absolutely. 100% agree. When you go back and you think, okay, why am I doing this? What are the steps? How can I derive success? And what are the processes for success? 
once you understand that from a formulaic standpoint, a fundamental standpoint, doesn't matter what you're doing, it, you can do it. So for my final question, what advice would you impart to someone just starting their career? Don't think you know what you want to do now. I talk to a lot of people who are in universities. I, I have an opportunity. I mentor a lot of people who are starting out companies. And this idea of I'm 21 years old or I'm 22 years old and I know exactly what I want to do. It's just false, right? Nobody knows what you want to do until you actually do it. And then when you start doing it, don't think that because there's a part of the job that kind of sucks that you don't want to do that job anymore. Mm -hmm. Every job has parts that are terrible. I just talked about 18 hour days, seven days a week. <laughs> Nobody wants that job. But ultimately, you go through that. Now you can do any job through that process. The stock options that I had in Silicon Laboratories, which was the company I founded the international operations with, they made it so I never had to work for a salary again in my life. And do you want to be in that position? Then you have to go through things that are terrible. And so focus on being successful regardless of the position, whether you are sweeping the floor, cleaning the toilets, or whether you are running a company, if your number one goal is to be successful at whatever you do, then you'll be happy in your job. For sure. And I think too, it's important, as you said, there's a lot of tarmac on a person's runway when they're graduating <laughs> like at 21 and 22. And I look back to, so I was coming out at the time of the dot-com boom too. And if you would have asked our generation, what would be the impact of the internet and technology 20 years ago and what we're looking at now, like we would have never guessed that. And I think that's totally. the same for today's undergraduates. It will be a different world in 20 years. And it goes back to your opening thing about fundamentals. If you have the fundamentals down, you can write out however the world turns and changes. Absolutely agree. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. And thank you so much. Yeah, happy to be here, Matt. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the invite. We'd like to thank today's guests for sharing their professional experience and career advice. We appreciate their insight and taking the time to share them with our audience. To you, the listener, thank you for joining us on this journey and exploring the ever-evolving world of engineering. We hope we've inspired you to pursue your dreams and ambitions. Let us know if there are topics or fields you'd like to hear more about. Until next time, we wish you the best of luck on your engineering journey.